Welcome to the last Friday morning live Peachtree Post of 2016. My name is Jason Longshore, one of the managing editors at Dirty South Soccer. Along with me is Jarrett Smith. Jarrett, how you doing? I'm good. You don't want to see how much I dance to that intro music. <laughs> yeah, thanks to our uh, our boy Bubba Sparks for uh, for that one. Who did a show um, in Smyrna earlier this year, by the way. Bubba's the man, huh? I've known Bubba for a long time. That was was something else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is our last show for 2016. Um, We'll be back next week to kick off the new year. But lots of stuff going on as this year comes to a close. Uh, Lots of rumors flying around. Lots of hot takes to go along with them. Um, We'll get into that. There was a piece that came out this morning about some of the potential uh, shopping areas for Atlanta United's third designated player. We'll get into a few of those names. And we'll also take a look at some of the best moves Atlanta United made in 2016. And we'll each have at least one bold prediction for 2017 before we finish the show today. So, Jarrett, um, I know you saw uh, Rob's post this morning uh, following up on Ivis Galarcep's uh, Goal.com piece about Atlanta United looking to Mexico and Argentina as a potential spot for their third designated player. Yeah, and it it follows suit with what we've seen so far. Um, If it's not broke, don't fix it. And they've been able to target that area of the world and why not keep going? You've still got the connection with Tata down there. Um, they missed out on Romero, and it's still it, it kind of still feels surreal to me, the idea that, like, oh, we could have had Oscar Romero. Then he went to China for all of the money in, in the Eastern Hemisphere. And that's still kind of weird to me. But uh, I'm, I didn't – it's about what I expected, though. Even when they missed out on him, I was pretty sure it was going to be, okay, we missed out, next man up. And that seems to be kind of where it's at right now. Um, we're going to see a lot of these rumors. They're going to see a lot of guys linked. Uh, we got a couple guys we're going to go over today who might be linked. Uh, I'm going to try and trigger Jason as well. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, oh, and it will be very successful. But the the whole idea is kind of stands the same. Even though Romero is gone, it's kind of that same thing. Uh, big ticket targets for, as uh, Ivan as Ivan said, it's a third DP, big ticket targets in Mexico and Argentina. Of course, it's going to be a big ticket. They have not given us any indication. They're just going to say, okay, well, we missed out on that. Let's go ahead and make a central, you know, a, a central defender, the next DP, and let's go to war. Like, they're going to – they've still got to fill out a good chunk of this roster, and they've still got room for another star or another high-priced starter, however you want to view it. Um, as far as the guys going, Jason, do you want to introduce them? Yeah, we've we've talked a little bit about this. I talked some on the Peach Pit earlier this week about uh, the two players from Club America that might be a good fit, and one of them has, has already signed elsewhere, Ruben Sambuesa, who I actually thought would have been an, an awesome fit for this club, and it would have been a little different as typically Atlanta's been looking at young up-and-coming players, and Sambuesa is more of the veteran, kind of a wily veteran on the left. But he's going to Toluca, so we can we can end the Sambuesa watch, and we'll move on to the Darwin Quintero watch. Uh, Quintero has been put on the transfer list at Club America, a Colombian player. Um, 
typically is played as a second striker, uh, but there's ways to make that work here in Atlanta with Tata Martinez system and still make Kenwin Jones uh, a focal point of the attack. Uh, Quintero could play either out wide as Martino did when he had two forwards with Paraguay, where he would slide uh, Barrios or Santa Cruz out to one side or Quintero, since he's typically played as a, as a second striker, he might be able to fit in, you know, as a pseudo shadow striker, pseudo like number 10 type of role next to uh, Almiron and in front of a defensive midfielder. And and we'll get into the Almiron center mid left mid thing in a minute too, because uh, you missed some hot takes on that one before the show started. <laughs> I just know what to say. It's great. Um yeah, and, and you'd gotten into the formation if you want to go back. Uh, you can go back online, anyone listening. You can go back, uh, check out the Peach Pit from this week. Jason kind of breaks down how that four one four one idea works. Um, and we went over it again before the show a bit as well. But you can get an idea of how guys fit, who could fit, um, where we could see them fit. You know, it's, 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 it's flexible enough that you're not limited to just one specific type of guy. And... Just the kind of way it's built, it's kind of like it's it's kind of like watching a transformer transform throughout the game. Um, it's gonna, I think it's gonna make for a really fun team to watch next year. Just depending on how the flow of the game goes, we may see it shift, uh, we may see it bend. Not to say that other teams don't shift and bend as the game goes along. I know everyone does, but um, yeah, this could get really fun to watch, depending especially on who they bring in and what their skill set is. Um, basically, what all this boils down to is, hey, Jason. Uh, why, if they get all these, either one of these guys, like a, uh, like Darwin or Lucas, does that mean Almiron's going to play on the left wing? Oh boy. Okay. This has been talked about a lot and not just here locally. I've seen lots of people saying like, oh, Almiron's going to be a left winger. He's a left winger. He hasn't played much left wing in his career. If you go back and, and look, he has typically played the role that, that I've kind of called it and I've read in the Argentine media quite a bit. It's, it's a, it's an eight, it's a flying eight. It's an attacking box to box midfielder. His speed and his anticipation are really important in on the defensive side of the ball. So you don't want to lose that. Can he play on the left? Yes. Could he be effective on the left? Yes. He played some there with Paraguay. Um, I think in some of his early call-ups, he played on the left in a four, four, two. But if you look at Lanús this season, they typically played a triangle central midfield, and Almiron was with a number 10, more attacking player, and in front of a defensive mid. And I watched a good bit of his last game with Lanús, and you would be surprised at how deep Almiron would come back to either win a ball or help launch a counterattack or just, just give an option for a pass. You don't want to lose that in his game. And, you know, while I don't think he is the number 10 that Atlanta United might have portrayed him as, as the playmaker and given him the 10 shirt. I think that also says what they're thinking is that he's a central midfielder. He's not a left winger. Um, Will there be times this season with different looks that he'll play on the left? Absolutely. Because that's the biggest thing that I'm taking away from how this team is coming together, you know, outside of a couple positions where you don't want, you know, a lot of, positional variability you're seeing guys who can play different spots so Vishalba can play on the right he can play up top he can play on the left in a pinch 
Chris McCann can play as a defensive midfielder, can play in the back in a pinch, can play out on the left in a pinch. He can play as an eight, can play as a six. Um, Almiron can play on the left or in the center. You have guys who can play different roles, and you're going to want that. Jeff Lorenowitz can play as a center back or a defensive mid. You're going to want to do that. And we, we talked about the example um, off air before we got started where you could see the team with a lead in a game where they're playing that 4-1-4-1 type of look that I've talked about a good bit. And you could see them make a change where they bring on a Lorenowitz and play Lorenowitz and McCann and another center mid. So it has a more defensive personality as opposed to McCann sitting behind two more attacking central midfielders. You're going to see these subtle tweaks to it because the shape is very fluid and Tata Martinez is going to expect his players to be able to play different roles as the game calls for it. And that's, I guess that kind of leads me into my next question for you, Jason is do you, how steep do you think the learning curve can be, especially for some of these guys coming from the Academy in the next year or two who haven't really had time to work with this system uh, down the road when guys get into the Academy, when they're young and they come up through the system, they'll understand it better. But do you think there's a learning curve for some of these guys who are going to be exiting the Academy in the next year or two, trying to make it onto this roster uh, with such a fluid system that might, uh, they might find themselves out of place at times and trying to learn it. There will be a learning curve. And, you know, I'll go back to what, Eric Winalda said uh, when I interviewed him at the end of uh, November ahead of MLS Cup, you won't see the best of this team till about midseason. And then you'll see what work has been put in to develop it because this is going to be, I think, tactically different than many MLS teams have played. It's not going to be as vanilla. Martino is going to have greater expectations for tactical flexibility and the players are, are going to need to pick that up. You're also, on top of that, starting from scratch. So you don't have a back line that at least two or three of the guys have played together. You don't have a midfield with any chemistry just yet. So it's going to take a minute. And don't get discouraged by early results. This, this is a process. I don't want to pull out the 76ers uh, believe in the process type of thing. But well, for one thing, we don't of, have a Joel Embiid. I wish we had a Joel Embiid. <laughs> I, see I, we, the, I see we have varying opinions here. Yeah, well, I just don't believe in their process. But I believe in Tata Martino's process. And it will take a minute. And there will be things that you'll see, you won't see early on. I think Martino's a smart enough manager to know that having the team for six weeks, essentially, before preseason, a team has never played together he's not going to be able to be quite as fluid, quite as flexible early on as he will be able to do later. So they might look a little more vanilla in the early going um, and they'll just keep adding to it. You know, Martino is a manager who, as Carlos Bocanegra said many times, he's, he's a manager who likes to get involved. He's going to want to be out there on the training ground. He's going to want to work with the guys directly. He's not going to sit back and be, you know, kind of the, the suit and tie manager and let his, his assistants run everything. He's going to get in the trenches and you're going to see this develop over time. As they get more and more comfortable, they're going to be able to do more and more things. It'll take some time. We'll see mid season kind of where it's at, but you're seeing pieces added right now that provide kind of a blueprint for that flexibility as the, as the season goes on. 
And this uh, this also applies this this a matter of it's going to take time applies not only to the players it applies to us as fans as people talking about it you're going to have to be patient because as you said it might not be till mid mid season excuse me where everything falls into place everyone's going to have to be patient because I know there's a lot of hype around this team but it might be the best expansion team we've ever seen but there's going to be some rough days there's going to be some bad days, some good days. It's just going to be a matter of everybody's going to have to be patient while this works out. It's not an overnight thing. They're not going to walk into the league like you're playing FIFA on rookie level and just start rolling people 3-0, 4-1, and just waltz their way into the playoffs. So patience is going to be a big thing for the players and the fans and the whole city, especially with the buildup and with Atlanta's reputation as being the kind of city that it doesn't really have that sort of – Atlanta doesn't have patience. Uh, the fans don't anyway, traditionally. So hopefully they will develop that. <laughs> yeah, hopefully the the soccer fan base will be a little a little different, a little more. I'm trying to come up with a, a different word for patient, but that's kind of what we're looking for here. Um, it's going to take a minute. It's just that's just where it Realistic. is. It's going to take a minute to come together. Realistic is a good way of looking at it because. You know, this is not a rebuilding effort. This is a building effort. There, there's no foundation. There's no base. So you have to build the base first and then start to develop from there. Uh, one other player that was sent to us earlier this morning as uh, we were talking about uh, potential shopping zones for Atlanta United, uh, MLS transfers, r- news, they are on Twitter, MLS news, rumors, I haven't been able to confirm anything else on it yet, but Edwin Cardona from Monterey, he's a 24-year-old Colombian uh, center at- central attacking midfielder. He can play on the left wing as well. So I feel like it, that's our key now. Like, can he play left wing? Yeah, do you have both? Um, Cardona could be either, and he's played mostly in the attacking midfield role for Monterey. Uh, earlier in his career, he played more on the left. So he's, he's another flexible player that can work in different ways. Uh, 24 years old, but he has 184 pro games under his belt, 55 goals, 22 assists. He scored 28 goals at Monterey in 73 games, and he's got three goals and 20 caps with the Colombian national team. It, another thing I've talked about a good bit is, and we talked about it last week, is who's going to score the goals? Because you have Almiron, Vishalva, um, Yamil Assad, who was rumored at one point. We haven't heard much on that lately. Jacob Peterson, you have guys who are good connecting players, but not necessarily goal scorers outside of Kenwin Jones. Cardona would give you a goal scoring option out of the midfield. Uh, he's, he's a good long distance shooter, good on free kicks. He would be a good complement to the players that are already there. And there are some rumors that he could be on the move from Monterey. I haven't seen anything linking him to MLS or Atlanta just yet, but Palmeiras and Cruzeiro in Brazil are reportedly after him. And there's been a $12 million uh, offer reported out of Palmeiras. So that's kind of the ballpark we're talking. And, and as Ivis said, you know, this is a big ticket third designated player. So that, would be in that type of price range. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on Edwin Cardona and see if he's a possible fit here in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, it, I, and like I said, there's going to be more names. This isn't the end of it. This isn't anywhere near the end of it. There's going to be more names mentioned. Um, and it's always going to be a slow process. I mean, the, think of, think of a, think of the job watch that we all went through 
I forget how many shows we went through on Vijaba Watch. Um, Atlanta Soccer Twitter had a, had hashtag Vijaba Watch rolling for a while. Like, it's not always a quick process. It might be quicker in January with the window open and things can move more quickly, but um, it might not be a quick process. These names might come and go. <coughs> We've seen numerous players linked with the program who showed up then vanished the next day. So. Look at the names, take them seriously, but don't go out and buy the jersey, please. I mean, at least with the name on the back. Unless it's Kenwin Jones, you can do that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, wait till the, the signing is official. Um, one other thing to keep in mind. So we've talked about some of the the kind of open holes that we see in the roster and and where they could be looking to add. Uh, Center back is one that Galarsep and others have mentioned in the past as a spot for a, a targeted allocation type of signing um, to pair with Parkhurst and probably have Lloyd as a as a reserve on both sides, uh, center and on the right. We've talked about left wing. We've talked about the central attacking role. So on the left wing or that central attacking role, and I'm probably leaning a little more to the left wing, you could see a – younger or maybe more speculative type of signing that could be an allocation money signing or even just a, a, a regular signing that could grow into something. Uh, you look at Cardona as a prime example of that. He was purchased by Monterey for $900,000 and his value now on transfer marked is 5 million euros. So you could see them go in that type of option because, you know, Martino and Thieler and Dario Sala, the staff has strong connections and we've seen them bring in Almiron, but could they bring in a either younger or less proven talent? And maybe Yamil Assad could be that type of player that comes in and lights it up and his value increases, you know, huge. So you could see that. Um, wouldn't shock me if you saw, I think I tweeted this yesterday and it almost made my head explode. If you saw a third designated player as the central attacking midfielder and a Tam or Gam signing on the left wing and a Tam or Gam signing at center back. Yeah. Uh, um, that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Um, but there are people that will back me up on this. Um, you might not be ready to start the season, but Andrew Carlton is still a thing and could be getting playing time out there by middle of the season. If he grows the way people hope he does, he could solve a lot of problems. He absolutely could. Um, the biggest thing to keep in mind with Carlton is uh, his commitment with the U 17 national team. He will be away for qualifying early in the season and, uh, hopefully the world cup later in the season. So, you know, he won't be, even if he doesn't go out on loan, he won't be available all the time with Atlanta United. And that could, you know, keep him in more of a substitute type of role for now as he gets his feet under him. But, you know, Carlton, it's, it's just hard to really project because he has very limited experience playing with professionals uh, in, in Charleston this past summer. And every game he got better and every game he seemed to, to really you know, get up to speed on it because the biggest thing I would see is with ball at his feet, he was great, but everything else was a struggle. 
as he played more, he made better runs off the ball. He worked harder defensively. All those little things that, that take time to develop, they were getting better. So we'll have to see if if he is in the mix early or if he's in more of a learning type of mode early. I absolutely think he'll be in a learning type of mode. Um, you touched on it. The issues I heard about at Charleston, I didn't get a chance to go out and see him. Um, <clears throat> where, yeah, his movement off the ball and his strength – uh, was viewed as a bit of an issue, which at his age, that's understandable. Going to get stronger as he gets older physically. But if those things start developing, you know, his off-the-ball movement, uh, his reading of the game off the ball, not just, you know, his direct runs, but understanding what everyone else is doing and where he needs to be. Um, but, yeah, that combined with him just getting stronger, I don't, don't – get, don't get me wrong. I don't think he's a guy who makes an impact early in the season. It would take – some pretty miraculous stuff, I think, to get to that point right away where he jumps right in. But middle of the season, into the season, I can see him being a guy who comes on late in games, who is working to figure stuff out. And you know, if if he's if he's what we think he is, that's a damn good stepping stone for his age. And the U17 work is going to help as well. It's going to be good experience. Um, it won't be against you know MLS in terms of age and, you know, maybe the speed of the game and the professionalism of the game and just in the term that it's a, you know, a major league, but it'll still be good for him to stay playing consistently and to be around, especially if you do bring in a guy who plays the left wing, who can work with him, who can teach him. I mean, you'll always have guys around there at the top flight. You're bringing in some top flight guys who will be able to work with him and help him, I think, speed up his development. Yeah, that was where I saw a lot of value in, in Ruben Sambuesa, you know, a, a veteran left winger that Carlton could have played behind and, and learned a lot from. Even, you know, Carlton will learn a lot from the Vichalvas and, and Almirones as well because they're not that much older than him and they already have this professional experience. Carlton and Chris Goslin both are, are going to be, you know, more for the future, but there could be opportunities for them to contribute in year one, maybe more in a, in a limited type of role. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of shift away from all these young guys, um, hey, there's a veteran who needs a job. <clears throat> and it's funny, as we're talking about this, uh, the big boss Rob just posted an article about whether or not <coughs> a Mr. Don Ovan will be making a return to the national team or not. So we already know he's not going to return to the MLS. <clears throat> Yeah, I, and, I think uh, I got yelled at on Twitter. <laughs> yes, I was yelled at on Twitter uh, quite a bit by people, a little surprisingly, in my opinion, um, that were just very against Landon Donovan <laughs> being in addition to Atlanta United. Um, for those of you who haven't heard kind of where things are with Donovan at this point, there were reports by Charlie Bohm originally with Soccer Wire uh, and others have picked it up and added elements that Donovan might be considering playing this year and not with the LA Galaxy, but with Real Salt Lake. And now talk has come out that financially the offer and what Donovan wants are, are pretty far apart. So Salt Lake might not be as, as possible as we thought. Julie Stewart Binks reported yesterday that there was an Eastern Conference club in the mix uh, with, with either an offer or putting an offer together for Donovan. And, you know, who could that be? You start to look down the list of, of people who it, it could be a fit, and 
Atlanta United is not as crazy of a fit as you might think. Um, you know, I've talked a lot about Tata Martino's system and, and style of play, and there are you know, definite options to slot a Landon Donovan into Martino's uh, formation and system. He could play on the left, or he could play in that central attacking midfield role as a second striker, as a, a pseudo number 10. Both are, are good fits for Donovan. Uh, he, Donovan is very friendly with Carlos Bocanegra, Atlanta United's technical director. So, you know, having, having that conversation would be very easy to do. They have a designated player slot open. You know, there's no problem in fitting whatever Donovan wants under a, a salary cap or into this team. Do you want to make that move? And, you know, as, we, as we've seen this morning, the talk is about going younger and, and South American or, or from the Mexican League. And I think that's the plan. You know, all I was saying was if you take the name out of it, if you take Landon Donovan out of it and you look at what he brings to the table, could he be a good fit for Atlanta United? The answer is yes. I mean, it looks like they're going in a different direction and he wouldn't even be a consideration here. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with going in a different direction. <clears throat> fine with going in the under, young direction. Uh, name or not, I would take him. Um, what it matters, what, what it comes down to is the matter of price. Like Atlanta is one of those teams. Yeah. That pops up in the Eastern conference because blank's already shown he's willing to spend the money and they have an open designated player spot. So that you can put two and two together and think, okay, well, Atlanta might at least explore the option. They might've reached out and said, uh, give us a number. Um, and then go from there. Uh, Oh, it actually just occurred to me. If he shows up at a Hawks game with Boca Negra, Atlanta might burn. Oh, wow. That would be epic. Yeah. Like, I didn't mean to start something Wednesday night on the chat. Like, Tim Howard was at a Hawks game. If you missed this, Tim Howard was at a Hawks game with Carlos Bocanegra. It's not a big deal. I just like to see the world burn. So, I, I, set, I set forth to make the world burn successfully. <laughs> yeah, I don't see uh, Tim Howard ending up in Atlanta United via trade with, with Colorado. Uh, that would be your third designated player. So, don't see that one happening. Um when it comes to Donovan and when it comes to the third designated player, I, I want to echo something that Matt Doyle, uh, MLS armchair analyst uh, on Twitter, he's MLS analyst, uh, tweeted yesterday that just makes a ton of sense. And it's something that, that I've been saying as well. Once you make that decision to sign a player to a designated player contract, the dollar figure past that, if, if the club wants to spend the money, really doesn't matter. You know, if, yeah. if Donovan is signed to a $1.5 million deal or a $5 million deal, it doesn't matter because his salary cap hit is the same. So from fitting him into the team, the only question is salary cap. The other side of it is just whatever the owner wants to spend. Um, <clears throat> and here in Atlanta, we've seen that that's not, you know, a, a, an issue. Whereas in a, a Columbus, for example, maybe it is. I don't, you know, once you make that commitment, like, like Doyle said, the, the dollar figure beyond that really doesn't matter all that much if, if the owner's going to spend it. So it's kind of hard to compare, like, you know, Donovan, if you sign him to a two-year designated player deal and let's say $3 million a year, just throwing a number out. If you uh, sign him to that and you compare his performance to Gonzalo Verón in New York, and you, you start talking about the dollar figures, it doesn't matter. They count the same on the cap. So 
it's just it's not that the the number really isn't the big deal to me it's that you have one spot left uh you you kind of prioritize wanting to go younger and having a resale value to your your designated players and that makes a lot of sense it's a very good business move donovan would not give you that would he give you you know the flip side in selling tickets and selling jerseys to make up for the money you're not going to recoup on a future sale. Maybe, maybe not. It's not a move that Atlanta would have to make. Um, It's not a move that I'm even saying they should make, but would he fit 100% in terms of a soccer perspective, in terms of him being a soccer player and fitting into Tata Martino's system, he would be a very, very good fit. Um, it just comes down to what do you want to do with that last spot and, and where does it go? Uh, here's another um, bit of not really news, but maybe a follow-up on a rumor. Um, Lucas Zellerian in Mexico with Tigres, and I talked about him in today's Daily Dirt, and Rob mentioned him as well. Zellerian's agent has said that he could be connect, or uh, he might have received a call from Tata Martino. It's a little unclear based off the tweet. Um, Zeller Ryan's an Argentine player playing with uh, Tigres in Mexico. Uh, another one of those guys who can play on the left or in the center. Um, he could be a fit. He did not play in the second leg of the Liga MX final. And there was, you know, at least a little bit of question as to is, is that because of a, a future move? But uh, he also had a, a small injury as well. So Zeller Ryan is another player to add into the mix for this role. He also had some more questions, and I have no problem with Zeller Ryan. I'd be fine with him. Um, don't get me wrong. But he does add more questions because he's another guy who's he's a playmaker. And he just adds another question to the who is going to score the goals category. Yes. So uh, at this yes. point, you're you're still looking at Kenwin Jones, uh, Vasquez, maybe some from, someone from the academy – Maybe a draft pick. We don't really know. Um, you know, we had talked about whether you bring in Darwin to kind of play that shadow striker role, someone who can play off of Kimwin Jones, and that's an option as well. But it, it still does have the question: who's going to score the goals? Um, unless they plan to literally walk the ball in. But every Arsenal fan I know just had a stroke, so rest in peace to them. <laughs> yeah, that's where, you know, we mentioned Cardona. Cardona would be that central attacking option who is more of a goal scorer than a Zellerian, who is, is more of a playmaker. So that's going to be the, the biggest question for me looking at it, depending on you know, where these moves go, is who's going to help four goals because Kenwin can't score all of them up top and you have a lot of really good linking players, but maybe not necessarily players who have shown a goal scoring presence in the past. Yeah. And, um, and we're, you know, this is, this is kind of also something that we're going to be seeing uh, when they build the Academy up. It's with the way they built the Academy, you talked about bringing in a guy like, um, I guess I think you were talking about Cardona bringing in a guy for nothing and letting him build his value up. Like that's, that's what the Academy is going to do. Hopefully is you're going to, you'll produce these players on homegrown contracts. They're going to be great players, hopefully. 
and then they're going to be sold probably because they're going to be worth money to go play elsewhere, whether it's domestically or abroad. So um, like you said, it's a, it's a good business model. We'll see how it shakes out and that we won't really know the returns on that for Atlanta's sake if for a number of years. Um, and the same could be said, honestly, for guys like Vajalba and Almiron. They're still young enough that Atlanta could, especially Vajalba, Atlanta could run them out there for three, four years and sell them for a tidy profit. So that's always fun. Yeah, you're going to see that player development on on all levels, whether it's at the, the top end, guys like an Almiron and Vajalba, and the the mid-level talents, and then the young talents out of your academy. You're You're always – at least from the way this appears, you're always looking long-term in player development and future, future profit down the road on, on moves. And that's how tough clubs around the world are set up. So it's, it's a pretty smart way of doing business and we'll see how successful it is for for Atlanta United. Looking at kind of successful moves Atlanta United's made this year, uh, since it is our last show for 2016, we wanted to talk about, you know, some of the, the best moves United has made in 2016. Um, you know, is there anything that jumps out to you, Jarrett, at, as a, a real win that Atlanta United's front office has made either, you know, I can't really say on the field yet, but from a soccer perspective or anything else? Tata Martino. That's the I biggest mean, one for you? I don't know if it's the biggest one, but it's, it's certainly still paying dividends. Um, I think one of the ones that, and we just saw him leave. One of the big ones was uh, we, we just lost Richard Money going back overseas. I thought that was a big move that uh, helped lay the groundwork for this foundation. There's a lot of big moves. There's a lot of great moves. Some of them were mainstream stuff like signing Tata or signing Vijalba. Um, you know, they were kind of this big news thing. Bringing in money wasn't as much of an, it wasn't a news mover. It was not a headline really. I mean, it was for the community, for people who were really paying attention, but it wasn't just, it wasn't something that brings people in from the outside, but I thought it was a really solid move. The, the merger of Georgia United um, with Atlanta United's uh, Academy, I thought it really laid the groundwork for an incredibly solid future. And instead of just being a team that's going to go out and shell out money, like we've seen teams do in the past, it gave the impression that they're going to show out money. They've also built a hell of a foundation to run off of once this initial uh, burst uh, through the atmosphere runs out. And I thought money was going to be a good part of that. And I hated to see him go, but I still think the Academy's in good hands. Don't get me wrong at all. Yeah. I think money was here to really just build that foundation, maybe as much off the field as on uh, and then, then pass it on. And now that, you've seen the Tata Martino signing. I agree. I think that's the, the game changing move that Atlanta United made in 2016, because we would be having very different conversations about Atlanta United's roster, about what they're putting together, what their future is. If they had hired Adrian Heath or Siggy Schmidt or Jason Christ or any of the other people that were, were talked about at one point, Tata Martino opened up so many more possibilities for what this club can be from the academy up. I mean, the academy side, you have to remember that Martino's lead assistant, Jorge Thieler, ran Newell's Academy um, and has produced a slew of players who are playing all over the world. That's going to be very important here in the long run. Um, you have Martino making connections with an, an Almiron 
and others that are being talked about coming to this team. The other, the, the thing that I don't want to forget is some of the other moves that have been made more from a depth or maybe a, a lesser profile perspective that have been, I think, very smart moves in the long run. Uh, Brandon Vasquez, that signing was very different for MLS teams. You just don't see a lot of young U.S. internationals who are not academy connected who are playing. I mean, he was you know, playing overseas. He's playing in Mexico. But to, to spend the money and make the commitment to bring him in and look at him as a player for, you know, maybe not the immediate future, but the very near future, to pair up with your Carltons and Goslins and others out of the academy that could get signed, then just their aggressiveness in the domestic market, you know, making the trades to get a Michael Parkhurst, you know, the moves they made in the expansion draft to – to add players, but also add some more pieces with a, the number eight pick in the super draft and adding some extra allocation money and, and getting Mark Bloom, you know, going out and signing Lorenowitz and Peterson in the free agency market. The team, it, we've talked about it before and comparing it to Minnesota. It's just such a night and day comparison that it's, it's not even fair to either one because Atlanta United even with the holes they have right now, they have a fully formed roster and they're upgrading at spots. Minnesota doesn't. And I think the combination of Tata Martino's hire and the moves that have been made across the board to, to develop a club, not just, you know, a, a team, a first team on the field, but a club and a pipeline. I think it, Atlanta United just positioned for long-term success better than really any expansion team that's come into MLS ever. I mean, even Seattle, even if you go back to the early days of Chicago, they put together very good first teams and Seattle, it took a while to develop the rest of it. And you're starting to see now where Jordan Morris and, and others have come through. I think Atlanta's already, you know, built that platform and their signings have been a mix of veterans and youth and up and coming players that you just, you haven't seen this type of, of building of a club in the United States. Yeah, that's, and it, it, it touches on something else that um I don't want to say Atlanta is, you know, leading the exodus here because um, they're not really in this regard, but the moves that they've made, of bringing in uh, Vijalba, bringing in Almiron, um, signing Vasquez, piggybacking on the move of Nicoladero last year by Seattle. I'm hoping that if if these guys really do show like just show out for Atlanta next year, and Ladero keeps playing well for Seattle, we have no reason to believe he won't. I'm hoping that it continues this league wide push of designated players being young exciting uh, untapped potential kind of guys instead of aging veterans looking to hit the retirement home after the game. And I'm hoping that's kind of a, a shift that keeps having, I think, and I know Seattle isn't the first one to do it, to bring in a young, exciting guy from overseas, but we saw how well it worked and brought a team back from the dead. If we see an expansion team do it next year, I'm hoping it'll push further expansion teams to do it and other franchises to do it just to, 
instead of shelling out for a traffic cone at 38 years old, shell out for a young guy who might be in his early mid twenties, who is a couple years away, maybe from going to Europe, maybe going to Mexico um, and let them develop here. I'd rather see us move in that direction. Yeah, and I think Atlanta's even taken it a step further than Toronto and Seattle with the, the Giovinco and Ladera signings. You know, they're going even younger with an Almiron, with a Vishalba, Oscar Romero, who was rumored, and the others that we're talking about. Lots of, you know, you have two young designated players first off. That is not common in MLS. It's happened before, but not common. And your third designated player is likely going to be younger. I mean, Romero was 24. There's uh, Cardona's 24 if he's in the mix. Uh, It's not going to be the old school mentality of let's sign this guy because he did a lot in the past and he's going to sell some shirts. I'd love to hear what you guys who are listening, either listening live this morning or listening, you know, on the podcast later, Tweet us at Peachtree underscore post. Uh, you can tweet, you know, Jarrett and myself individually. I'm Longshoe. Jarrett is Jarrett underscore Smith. Tweet us with your your favorite moves that Atlanta United has made in 2016. And also what we're about to get into, tweet us with a bold prediction for 2017. You know, and let's maybe go a step beyond just the bold prediction of there'll be a playoff team or the win MLS Cup or that type of stuff. Give me something specific. I, I'd love to hear, you know, a bold prediction of an individual player's performance or something around the club that will happen beyond just winning a trophy. Uh, tweet us that. You know, if you're if you're listening live, tweet us now. If you're listening later, tweet us anytime, and and we'll talk about it on a future show or or tweet back and forth with you. Yeah. <laughs> Are you asking for mine now? I am asking for yours. I ran out of gas. Sorry. I'm uh, no, that's I'm a fine. Bit, of a, um, bit of a sinus infection, so my, my throat is a little scratchy. Um, okay, well, uh, get back on that Cayenne team, man. Um, I was working Wednesday. <clears throat> yeah, a l- little early for that. Um, I'm on the uh, Burt's Bees Natural Throat Drops honey at the moment. Oh, there, there we go. <clears throat> I am on the cat dander diet, and it is not fun. Um the uh, okay, so I guess if I'm going in that direction, um, for a prediction, Atlanta's not making the playoffs. I guess the way I see it, there's just there's still still a lot of questions. It's still an expansion team. I just don't think they they'll make it this year. But I think they just miss out on the playoffs. And I think by the end of it all, the East is incredibly glad they miss out on the playoffs. So. My prediction is that Atlanta just misses the playoffs and everyone's really happy because they end the year as that team in the league that no one wants to play at all, that they'll come together and set the stage for what might be a really terrifying 2018 season. So I think they, in 2017, is one of the scariest teams in the league just missing the playoffs. Okay. I like that. I like that. I can work with that. Um, I guess for me, when you start looking at it, some of the things that I could see happening in 2017 that would be, you know, fairly bold to to predict now. I think one of the academy squads at the U16 or U18 level will play for a national championship. Um, The U16 team was wrecking shop this year, so that's totally possible. (laughs) 
Yeah, they're both really highly ranked, and Dallas won both of those titles last year. I think Atlanta will get in the mix for one of them. Um, not sure if they'll win it, but they'll make a, a national final there. I think you'll see a third homegrown player signing, uh, if not before opening day, uh, before the conclusion of the academy season. Um, there's just a lot of talent coming up, and I think Atlanta will want to lock one or maybe two of them up on the professional side and not risk losing them. Uh, there's, there's definitely more talent that is close to being ready in the academy. I think you'll see at least one more homegrown signing before, say, midseason. That's fair. I'd buy that for a dollar. Um, if you want to – oh, yeah, here we go. Um, if you want to uh, – we got a bold prediction um, – that Dejava top 10 in scoring. Ah, very nice. Um, John Nelson, I, I could see that. Um, the scoring part is the only question I have about Dejava and Almiron is will, will one of them step up their goal production from what they've done in the past? And, and both are capable. I mean, you've seen both score amazing goals. They just haven't been in a position to be – the club's primary goal scorer. So we'll see if that changes here. Uh, and I will, John, I will take that throat coat tea. Uh, I could probably use it here soon. <laughs> uh, we've also got biggest news from the wing back, letting us know that biggest news for him was Atlanta United merging with Georgia United. So um, I don't disagree. That was, it was huge. And it, and in a state that is ripe with talent, it was a big move. Yeah, and I've said it before, and I'll say it, you know, as long as he's connected with the club. Tony Annan and the work he did at, at Georgia United to really see a need and start to grow it on his own and with partners, of course, but he kind of saw the need where it could go. And then bridging the gap to Atlanta United and, and being able to put an Andrew Carlton and a Chris Goslin in a position to sign a homegrown deal so quickly – very important work that uh, that Annan has done, and, and now he's in charge of the academy, and uh, it only looks like it's going to continue to grow. I think as, you know, Tata and his people get involved more and more, you're going to see an academy with a mindset of producing professional players, which, you know, very few academies in the United States have that mindset. Most Most have the mindset of, let's let's produce players who can play in college and with a, a goal of producing players for college and a goal of producing players for MLS or the professional game are two completely different things. And what yeah. you're seeing in Atlanta is definitely headed towards the player, the professional player production side. Uh, and then Joseph asked us as well a couple minutes ago, I didn't know if you wanted to circle back on this. Uh, he asked you uh, thoughts on Cardona for Monterey as our big ticket third DP. Um, Great central attacking mid with his own scoring chops. So, uh, yeah, we touched on that a bit. Um, but yeah, and I think we'd both be I think we'd both be okay with that. Yeah, Cardona is the player that really seems to fit the biggest need. And you know, we've talked about it before about just adding another goal scoring option. And Cardona would be that in a position that is you know a little bit of a gap right now. So you could play, and we've, we've played the uh, pick a starting 11 game quite a bit, but you could see a 
you know, from the front back, Kenwin Jones, and let's say, you know, Cardona is the only addition at the moment. Kenwin Jones up top, uh, Jacob Peterson on the left, Almiron and Cardona in the middle, Vishalba on the right with Chris McCann or Jeff Lorenowitz as the defensive midfielder. You could also see a way that that goes in a more defensive way of Almiron sliding to the left, which I think I made it clear I'm not as big of a fan of, but Almiron on the left with Cardona and McCann in the middle and Vishalba on the right with Lorenowitz holding it down as the D-mid. Kevin Kraft is an option in really any of those roles as a, a 10, a, a 6, or an 8. And then a back line of Greg Garza, Michael Parkhurst, uh, Zach Lloyd, or the top-level center back option, Mark Bloom on the right, and the you know assumed acquisition of Brad Kuzan and goal. So it's a pretty beast lineup, even just adding Cardona to the mix, let alone the top-level center back, the additional left winger or additional center mid if you're just bound and determined to push Almiron wide. You know, this is – it's just – it's just a whole different ball game than I think any of us thought it would be, you know, at this point uh, in the season, in the development of this club. I don't think any of us thought we'd be having these conversations about what a lineup could look like with this much strength. No, absolutely not. When we started this podcast um, back earlier in the year, yeah, we didn't have an idea that this is what this is going to look like. I, in my wildest dreams, I didn't think there'd be this much raw talent around this uh around this team i thought it'd be fun team to watch i I, you know i didn't doubt that arthur blank was going to spend the money to bring in the people uh players and staff to make a make a talented squad but i didn't think it'd be this explosive looking on paper at all no i don't think anybody did i mean if if you go full bore and you're able to get you know a a allocation money or targeted allocation money left winger to add to the, the strength elsewhere. And you get that top level center back. It's, it's just a whole nother type of team that we didn't expect would be talking about. And that's why people are getting excited and talking about playoffs in year one and, and challenging for titles. I'm with you on that. I, I want to, throw all the cold water I've got on, on that type of thought process, because I don't want it to get into a situation where there's disappointment if they don't make the playoffs year one, because I just don't think that's fair. I think there's, no, it's unfair to, yeah, it's completely unfair to ask them to, to, I think to be that team. It's, it's unfair to expect them to be that team is the way I would go. I think it's, it's fair to ask and it's fair to hope. It's unfair to expect it because of all the variables that go into this, just chemistry. I mean, you could get these players on paper who look great and throw them into a FIFA game. They look great. You get them on the field and it just doesn't click. So then you have to make another move to try to correct it. The good sign is that this front office does not appear to be a front office afraid of making moves and afraid of making bold moves. But you hope that they don't have to get into the summer window and say, ah, we really missed on this one. You know, this guy's not a fit. We need to make a change and we need to move this guy on. Then it just, it starts over with chemistry. So fingers crossed that this all clicks the way that you're, you're hoping, but 
honestly, that's, there's a, a very strong chance that it doesn't in some way, just because it's, it's totally unknown at this point. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be practicing. They're going to be putting it together. And this is honestly where my prediction comes from is that mindset that it's just going to take time to put everything together. I think they'll end up behind the eight ball at some point this year, just trying to get everything in one piece. Um, but I still think they'll put it together and be absolutely terrifying. And we'll see a fully weaponized death star by the end of the year. They just might not be able to blow anyone up in the playoffs, which is, which is fine. I mean, the pressure's not on you to make the playoffs in year one. The pressure is to put together a quality team on the field that keeps people coming back for year two, especially when you have this many season tickets invested in it. The pressure is on a club like Orlando who brought in a new coach who uh, is going to be making changes and trying to build the team the way that uh, Christ wants and who really needs to have a good season next year. Um, of course, at that note, you could spoil Orlando's season if you're Atlanta. So that's a good way to start the rivalry. <laughs> yeah, that could definitely be fun to see is Atlanta United uh, keeping Orlando out of the playoffs <laughs> again. That would oh, be God. yeah, quite a way to draw that oh. hatred. Um, okay, we got another couple of things coming in. Uh, wingback asking, um, is, or he has a bold prediction that Atlanta is going to prioritize the U.S. Open Cup, taking the Seattle route, and reach the semis. We squeak into the playoffs in the last week. I, I'd buy that for a dollar, especially if the East gets weird this year. I'd buy that. Yeah, it's possible. Keep in mind about prioritizing the Open Cup like Seattle. Not quite as easy now as it was then. Seattle... You have to go back and open up in the way it's set up. You could basically bid to host games. And I went through this with Atlanta FC in 2009. When you qualified, you, you know, stated your, your venue if you were to host, and you made a bid. And you didn't know what the other side was bidding, but you would say what you would offer to be able to host. And you could offer money. You could offer a share of the gate. You could kind of do whatever you wanted. And there was a, I don't think it was ever really denied that DC United early on and then Seattle later basically bought the hosting rights to games. I mean, if you remember at one point, Seattle actually did buy the hosting rights to an open cup game with the Silverbacks. They they flat out bought it from the Silverbacks because the Silverbacks were selected to host. So it was easier to prioritize it then because of that. It's harder now because it's a blind draw as long as you can host. Basically, you say you can host on the proposed dates, and then it's a blind draw. So they, I wouldn't shock me if they prioritize it in terms of not playing reserves in it and use those games as a way to further build chemistry and, and build the strength of the squad. So, you know, could they make a run there? Yeah, absolutely, especially if you're playing your top guys in that as well. So, We'll see. Uh, so also Nelson asked, uh, do you as a fan wait until the quarter poll to get a solid base of an idea of where this team will be? I'm assuming he means quarter poll in the season. I think the most fair way to look at it, because, you know, as we know, the schedule, you're going to play. I mean, we know the first two weeks, you're home one and away the second. Pretty much we're all expecting that you'll be home at least one, maybe two more games in March, and then you're going to be away for a month uh, as Georgia Tech does spring football, and you'll be back at the the last Saturday in April and then in May and and June. So you're going to have a tough stretch in April. 
I think you really look at it mid June, maybe even late June. So maybe all star break. Yeah, if you're getting close to the all star break, kind of closer to summer is when okay. I think it's fair to take a look at it. Our thing is it working? Is it not working? What can be improved? Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I, I'll go with that. Um, yeah, I think the quarter pole. It's I think a lot of this, and I get where you're going with this, John. Um, I think a lot of it got kind of pear shaped with the stadium being an issue with whether or not Atlanta United Stadium with the um, the whether the new Mercedes Benz Stadium was going to be open or not. Um, we don't know the rest of the schedule yet. The schedule could get weird because they may want to backload the home game, so you may end up a lot on the road early on. Um, a lot of travel, especially again. United States is a very big country. There's going to be a lot of uh, cross-country travel. So I, if you did the quarter poll, I wouldn't be mad at you at the least. Um, but I think we might get a better idea after the All-Star break, even at the three-quarters poll. Um, we can, and we can, we can make note of that. We can break down the schedule later on and make note of it, and we can do updates, quarter, half, and three-quarter poll, and we can kind of get, in, get people's idea at that point, and then we can always go back and look at it and see how people were feeling at that time. So that might not be a bad idea. Uh, we can get up on that. Yeah, that's what I'm the most excited about. I mean, all this theoretical stuff about who they could sign and what the lineup could look like and all that, it's, it's fun. It's cool. I'm excited about actually talking about, okay, last week they played like this. How can they play better? Who's the opponent? How does the opponent play? That's the stuff that gets me excited. So, you know, we're all there. We're, you mean when we're sitting outside the varsity? Yes. Probably on the sidewalk and uh, talking through a boombox or something. Uh, yes. We will, we will be. This is Atlanta. That's very appropriate. Yeah. I, I think as you see the, uh, the musicians on the sidewalk busking for, for dollars, we'll be uh, podcasting for dollars on the sidewalk. So okay. you know, come, throw, come throw some money in our guitar case and we'll be good to go. So uh, we're about done this morning. Uh, just wanted to thank everybody who has listened all year and you know, really supported what we're doing. We, we truly, truly appreciate it, you know, both here at the Peachtree Post and at Dirty South Soccer. Uh, you know, the Mouths of the South, definitely check those guys out. Uh, they'll be back after the first of the year as well. Um, if you guys haven't already marked it on your calendars for 2017, the ATL Soccer Con will be back on March 25th. And it will be at One Touch Soccer this time. Uh, there's a Facebook event, and you can follow that event on Twitter at ATL Soccer Con. Uh, we'll be involved in that in some form or fashion, still working on what that looks like, if it's a live show, if it's a panel discussion, what have you. But we'll be there. We'll be involved. Um, Jarrett, any, any final thoughts for 2016? Um, not. I mean, you, you pretty much hit the nail. It's been a lot of fun. Um, we didn't go into 2016 planning to do this. It just kind of happened over lunch one day and it's been a blast and it's been a development as we go along, kind of figuring out how we wanted to go about it. But you guys have been great. Um, more people every week and more interaction every week. It's been great. Um, we've seen the ATL soccer chats grow. Jason at one point was just doing them on Twitter and it grew into a Facebook live thing now that used to just go for an hour with four simple questions. Now it's turned into it generally goes an hour and a half. So thank you, Jason, for hosting that for everybody. Um, but for everybody who listens, interacts, it's, it's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't have imagined it getting this much fun. And here we are this close to it, Jason. Thanks everybody. Uh, enjoy the new year. Uh, enjoy new year's Eve. Be safe. And we will see you guys uh, 
we'll see you next year. Thanks yeah, for listening. Mucha plata. Mucha plata.